Thanks for tuning into the XL Legal Podcast, an interview-based podcast for lawyers devoted to practice excellence and wellness tips. I'm your host, Shelley Appleby-Ostroff, legal talent development consultant, writing coach, and former practicing lawyer, and I'm so happy you're here. Today, I have the pleasure of speaking with Darlene Tonelli about creating a happy and fulfilling legal career. Darlene is the founder of InterAlia Law, a very different kind of legal services business. Before founding InterAlia, Darlene worked in-house at a record label and practiced at a large Bay Street law firm. Welcome to the XL Legal Podcast, Darlene. Hello. Thanks for having me. Well, thanks so much for being here. Well, of course, I want to start with InterAlia Law and how that came to be. Well, InterAlia Law is uh, an association of lawyers. We all focus on media, tech, and entertainment, and have we the sort of interesting thing about us is all of the lawyers are very senior and have worked in-house and in private practice prior to joining InterAlia. So uh, the way it started really was that I just wanted to build a law firm for me that I wanted to work at when I left my in-house role. And I thought that there was room to just balance a bit better the, the way that external counsel advises clients and the way that internal counsel advises clients. So we try to provide a bit of a mix. And effectively, what I was doing was trying to just solve some of the problems that I saw in my seat at my in-house job with the way that we got advice and the way that our, the demands on our time worked inside. And could you provide us with maybe an example of what those problems were and what your real goals were in setting up InterAlia the way that you did? Yeah, I think it was twofold. So certainly the work-life balance. Um, I think that private practice has its own work-life challenges, namely balancing the needs of many clients. That's challenging and many internal clients like the partners and associates and all of that staff. And then in-house as a lawyer, the, the main challenge is balancing matters for your one client usually, and then dealing with your internal clients and figuring out how to get deals across the line and all of that stuff. So I found that often when I was asking for external counsel advice, they would give me very impractical advice. So it was useful. It was the law. It was well done, but I couldn't really do anything with it. I still had to make a decision about it. I still had to figure out how it tied in with our business. And I think that the best external counsel that we worked with were the ones who really got in our minds and kind of said, okay, well, here's some practical advice based on what you've told me about the way your business works. So that is what we tried to do because as in-house you don't really have the luxury of not solving the problem. You have to solve these problems. So you get very used to working with internal politics, being diplomatic when conveying advice that you know isn't going to land well, <laughs> things mm-hmm. like that. So it's a very different skill set than external counsel, but there are good things about both. So it's I wouldn't say one is better than the other. I would just say that the way that we practice, we're a bit of a mix. And I think that that's useful, especially for certain types of companies. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, uh, so unique. And are some of the things that worked well in private practice part of your business model as well? Definitely. I mean, I think that the, the whole concept of hiring really great lawyers and training them to give great client service, obviously, we try to carry that forward. Also, the idea of staying on top of evolving areas of law. You know, I think the firms are really great at doing that and specializing. And we try to do all of that. And then I think the bit that we've innovated on is certainly the the way that lawyers work. So we don't have billable targets. We work to sort of integrate life and work seamlessly. 
we deal, most of our clients understand this about our model and actually want to work with us because we have a focus on having all of our relationships intact while working. <laughs> um, and we don't have, you know, just a lot of the structures of, of large firms in particular where the individual isn't necessarily at the center of the model. Whereas in our model, it's very human focused. It is very focused on the people. It's very focused on, you know, treating high performing lawyers very well and hopes that they then give great service to the clients and we all benefit. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's what I'm thinking is that the client would definitely benefit from that as well. I can see how that would just sort of trickle down to the type of service that you provide. Yeah. And I'm wondering about the name Interalia. Where did that come from and why did you choose that name? Oh, you know what? It's so funny because the name, when I, I've been talking about building law firms in a, a number of different places lately. And one of the things that we talk about is having to brand early. It's just part of starting a business. You need a brand. You got to get out there with your brand and get posting on social media and do all the things that, that go with that. But you know, when I started with Interalia, I just kind of knew it was the right brand, but it has evolved to be more applicable over the years. So we've kind of grown into the brand in a lot of ways. But when I first started it, it was a bit of an inside joke for lawyers uh, because I was thinking that my clients would be in-house counsel and that they would find it, you know, I would say, I'm going to handle all the other things. So <laughs> among other things, I'll do all the little things that you have at the back of your desk. And it was sort of thinking in that way. But over time, it's just kind of become, I don't know, I think a lot of people feel it's a familiar brand. uh, So they feel like they understand the term and they've heard it before, which has been useful uh, from a brand perspective. And then I think the other thing is that it has allowed us to not be too specific in what we're doing. So Mm. we have room to grow within the brand. So I think Mm -hmm. that's, that's kind of the main thing. But yeah, I thought it was a little bit of a sort of tongue in cheek when I started it. And most lawyers are always say like, oh, we love the name. They, they can kind of get that. And then for non-lawyers, they think, well, that's a great brand. So yeah, yeah. yeah it just kind of came to me and I was like, that's the brand. Yeah. It's great. Cause I mean, it's every time I say it and every time I see it, it just, it, it makes me laugh little chuckle. So, uh, yeah, and it's so good. And it's, <laughs> and it's so memorable, so memorable. So other things that are really memorable, I have to say about Interalia Law are your blog and your podcast. Both are not what you would typically see in, um, you know, a law firm or um, any sort of content that lawyers put out. So I want to just talk a little bit about uh, about both of those and how they came to be and and what your goals are in in setting them up. It's a great question. <laughs> it's a very good question. I think in the beginning we so we have a dual challenge at Interalia. We need to explain to clients what we do and we need to explain to lawyers who will join Interalia what we do and what we're about because I think the average law firm doesn't really have that challenge because there is a well-known way that that law firms work and because we do things quite differently, we have to find ways to really demonstrate what we're about and demonstrate our values and live them and show that it's not just marketing speak. So both the blog and the podcast grew out of that. I would say the blog in particular grew out of uh, just the reality that for whatever reason, when I started in Tralia, a lot of people reached out to me who were very unhappy with where they were. And I just started to feel that just because I was publicly doing something different, people were really needing someone to talk to, if, if I'm being really candid. I mean, people I didn't know. It wasn't people that I knew. 
often. Um, and so it started to make me realize that I could be more useful if I could kind of broadcast what I was saying as opposed to just answering people's individual questions or, um, you know, because you don't really know about one person's life circumstances. So I always am a little bit nervous about someone saying to me, you know, Darlene, what do you think I should do? Like, I have no idea is the <laughs> short answer to that. But I can tell you what I know about what I've gone through and I can share my knowledge. And so that's been the underlying premise throughout all of our, all of my specific blog. And then with Mike, my co-host on the podcast, we try to just talk about the things that people aren't talking about in law. And I just, I've never been one to shy away from talking about things that should be talked about. And I think that it it just struck me that there were so many miserable lawyers and we would almost joke about it in our profession. Like, oh, you know, but it's soul crushing. <laughs> you know, like how many times have you heard a lawyer say, oh, it's soul crushing, but then nobody goes further with that. Right. Obviously this has improved since we started the podcast in 2018 and the culture has become a bit more open. But at the time, it was very terrifying, I will tell you, to put out each blog and to put out each podcast because they were quite personal. They were really poking at stuff that the profession takes as a bit of a holy grail. And we continue to do that to this day. And I do hear from people that they find it helpful. And I prefer to kind of just get it out there and let people use it as they see fit. So yeah, that's been... It's a bit of just giving back, honestly, because I think it's very hard to do something different in law. And I try to just almost document the process for people so that they can either look at it and think, no way, I would never do that. Or, wow, like that seems like a way that I could go, or that might work for me. Because so much about our profession is about trying to make everything one size fits all, which is just a total fiction. So. Mm-hmm. Hopefully that answers your question. Absolutely. No, it's wonderful. And I just thank you for doing that because there's such incredible content on there on both the blog and the podcast. And it, it's so authentic. So um, I'm really happy that you're, you know, you're doing it and that people are responding in a positive way to it. And uh, I know that uh, it did require a lot of courage. So thank you for that. You mentioned how your own career path informed a lot of the topics um, that you're addressing. And that's something we haven't uh, touched on yet. How did you sort of come to found Inter Alia Law? Where did you start? And and yeah, what was your path to get there? Yeah, we did, I just jumped right in. Didn't give you any background <laughs> or anything. I guess my path is sort of interesting in that I came from a small city in Alberta and I came to U of T for law school um, around the turn of the century, as I like to say, just <laughs> torture myself. But anyway, around that time I came here, I'd never been to Toronto and I was quite shocked. I think just where my where a lot of this work comes from is that day one of U of T law, we all were here to save the world. Like everyone had some lofty goal to improve justice. Last day of U of T Law, we were all heading off to New York, Boston, Toronto, big, big corporate firms, and almost to a person. And I know that that's not still the way that it is, but it's notable in that it was such a departure from why we went to law school. And so then you get into, I worked at a large firm, which was a great firm. They did so many things that I continue to build upon and, and learn from to this day. And I have like extreme gratitude for my time at, at big firms. But at the same time, it really wasn't the place for me. It really wasn't. I shouldn't have been funneled into or thought in my law law firm or law school days that that was the place for me because it really wasn't why I went to law school. And so I think that we talk about retention rates and things like that at firms, but 
I go back further and I think, well, who of this class really wanted to be at the firm? I think we would find that if we looked at the people who in their personal statement for law school said, yeah, I really want to be a corporate lawyer or I really want to like cross collateralize debt obligations for my life. Like I bet they're still at the firms. You know, I think when we look at retention, you think about what did someone want to do? Like who is the person that went to law school and what were they trying to achieve? So for me, I was on a file early in my career that just taught me that this wasn't what I wanted to do for the rest of my life. And I'm grateful for that. But I decided that when my student debt was paid, which I had the good fortune to have that not be too long a period of time, I said I would go and do a dream job. And there are lots of reasons why I knew that the firm wasn't my dream job. But I just decided that what would be great is if I could match my job with what I liked to do inherently out of the office. And I think that was the big innovation for me at the time was just like, hey, if I enjoyed my work, I could be really a lot better at it, (laughs) which honestly is quite obvious, but I don't feel like anyone really spoke to us about that in law school. I think it's probably being done more now. So that's what led me to the record label. And then being in-house, I just love being in-house, but I think the nature of in-house work is that it does get repetitive. You are a specialist in that one company. And I felt that we could be really useful to other people at other companies if we could, if I could basically support you know, five companies on a part-time basis. And that's effectively what I do now. So that's, uh, that's the long way. And then I guess why Interalia after that was sort of deciding that it was, was a skill set that was useful and then wanting to have children and only making that decision sort of late in life and wanting a life that I could have some, I don't know, of control. Control is probably the best word. People say flexibility, but I think it was control. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Well, it makes such good sense. And I mean, it's just, it's really sad to, you know, hear the number of lawyers that say exactly what you um, mentioned at the beginning was, you know, why did I go to law school? I didn't go to law school to be doing this. And um, I'm really not happy doing this, but I can't really see myself doing anything else. I spent all these years and all that money, um, you know, and coming up uh, through the ranks. So um, again, like way to go, what a wonderful model you are becoming uh, for a lot of young lawyers and seasoned lawyers alike. And I'm thinking about as you're talking, one of the uh, first blog posts that uh, that you wrote, and you're talking about sort of lawyers getting stuck or professionals getting stuck in their jobs and how to get unstuck. And um, I was wondering if we could just kind of go through some of the advice that you provide on that blog, because I think it is so incredibly helpful. And also, I assume it is um, sort of based on your own experience. So again, it seems so authentic and doable for people. So um, yeah, I'd love to hear more about that. Well, thanks for all of these nice comments. Sometimes you're writing into a void, first of all, I'd like to say is how it feels like, well, I hope this is helpful. Um, But it's always, I I deeply appreciate every bit of feedback that I get in particular, if it's someone who did make a switch and it changed their life and they want to reach out and share it. And I always just say, great, I'm so glad it was helpful. Please pass it along, you know, do it for somebody else. Um, Because I do find that It's just a matter of the circles of people who have the information for us as lawyers are out there. There are so many lawyers who've done really interesting things to get themselves into a good spot. It's just not the main thing that is marketed to us as lawyers. So we have to get behind the marketing and find the people. 
And so I find that the authenticity with which people reach out to me and say they're struggling is real. So it's very easy to respond in kind and say, okay, here's what I did. Um, not an expert. This is just what worked for me, and I hope it works for you. So in the blog, you know, what I was sharing was just I was sitting in my job and thinking, well, why am I so scared to make a move? Or, you know, why wouldn't I want to take a chance and be an entrepreneur? And and the the story was pretty much like, well, this is prestigious. This is this is something that I get, you know, saying at a cocktail party that I'm a vice president at a record label is always good for you know, some positive reaction. And mm-hmm. I don't know if I want, what can I do without all that validation? You know, who will I be without a title? And I've shared many times, but when I left my job and didn't have a business card for the first time in my adult life, no title, you know, mm-hmm. no, no connection to powerful places. It was very unsettling, very unsettling. And so I think what you have to do is understand what is keeping you in your job. And what I said in my blog is, you know, you have to understand the story you tell yourself. So is the story that your parents will be so disappointed if you leave? Or, you know, for a lot of people I've heard from over the years, their parents were immigrants. They started their own businesses. They don't think entrepreneurship is a great idea at all, you know? Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of family pressure sometimes to just be in the place where the important prestigious things are being done. And you've got to come to terms with that because um, I certainly had to. Definitely, my parents did not think it was a good idea to leave my big firm fancy job and go work at a record label just at the height of Napster and the destruction of the music industry. Um, But it was the right thing for me. So I have a quote on my website from the Steve Jobs Stanford commencement speech, which I kind of live by. And he says, you know, don't waste your life. Don't waste your time living someone else's life. And I think that so many lawyers are living this life that we were marketed in law school to say, this is the life. This is the life. And people who don't have this life cannot hack it. They're not tough. They're not smart. It's just a fundamental like fallacy of logic to me. Mm. I think that it's one way. Like it's a great way if you're into it and you love the work, great. But if you don't, then there's all we're privileged to have a number of other paths, I think, open to us. So starting with the story to me is number one. And then figuring out kind of hard self-work about who are you. And I think a lot of law students have lost touch with that when they leave law school completely, just completely. I don't know how it happens. Happened for me. It's happened to a lot of people I've spoken to. So I think it's a matter of just taking the time to get back in touch with yourself and be like, what do you want to do? What do you, you know, life is short. What's, mm-hmm. what's yours going to be about? So usually when I speak with people, that's the message that has connected And then I guess the third thing is, over time, our understanding of health, well-being, mental health is so evolved compared to when I went to law school. And it just doesn't make sense to think that we can just work, 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 work to the exclusion of everything and be okay. Like, no, that is no longer an acceptable way to approach a job. So I I think a lot of people respond to that as well, just this idea that there is another way. Yeah, absolutely. And that, and others like you have done it. And you talk about getting back in touch with things that you like, or you're interested in, or you enjoy. And I take it for you, that was music. And that's how you were able to make the leap from the firm into an in-house position. Yeah, for sure. I mean, just being from Alberta and not growing up around media, 
I was very shocked to see in the ORs, you know, the the job postings that are at the front of that. It used to be a book. Now it's digital. Yeah. Um, but I was very shocked to see that there was a record label. They were advertising for a, an in-house position. And I, I didn't understand that there were record labels in Canada. That was not something I was aware of. So uh, when I once I knew that it was just obvious, um, and certainly, you know, I probably could have done better research on that earlier. But as you know, it took a while for me to understand the lay of the land in the world of law jobs. So once I understood that was a job, I thought that's the job for me. And you know, there were moments of extreme joy in that job of like I can't believe this is my job. You know, I just can't believe it, and I understand an area of the. The world like music so well. <laughs> you know, like I love music and it's cool to understand the industry that backs it up. Doesn't mean I still need to work in the day-to-day for my whole life, but I'm really grateful that I do and, and that I did for, for eight years. Yeah. And I'm sure ultimately, well, increased job satisfaction for sure, but you probably it probably doesn't feel like work as much as it would have or could have. <laughs> and ultimately I think you do a better job. So and thinking too about what you said about the job posting in the ORs, you wouldn't have thought that that was something that interested you had you not gone through the process that you described. It's just so interesting how that happened. Like all of a sudden you see that posting in the ORs just at the same time that you were sort of wondering, hmm, what am I interested in? And, you know, going through that process. You make a really good point. Basically, the idea that. Had I not done, I did two summers at two different law firms, and I did, which is also a gift, frankly, because I think it gave me perspective that you know you could be in two different environments, and there were many, many, many things that were the same, and many that were different. But you know, I had a, a broader understanding than would be typical. And then on top of that, I was in a job where, you know, I think what I didn't understand in law school, I did think, oh, there will be some things that I won't be interested in. I didn't fully appreciate that you can get on a file as a junior associate and work on it for like a decade. You know, like I don't <laughs> think I fully appreciated that. And I I did know that about litigation. I knew that cases dragged on and on and on. But I think that there were many things that I learned about working in the area that I worked in that made me understand what I wanted to do. And had I not done the other thing, yeah, how do you know? You know, I have real sympathy for law students trying to make a life choice because you don't really know. So I always say when people, they kind of say, well, should I chase my dream right out of law school? I mean, maybe, but also like, I don't regret doing my time to learn and to see the landscape at a big firm. Like I never regret that. I I still think that it was the right way to start. Um, But I also really admire people who just know immediately what they wanted to do. You know, that's a, that's a great thing. I did not have that, but if people do, then amazing. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I think it's great. And there are a lot more students coming out of law school who are starting up their own firms. Like mm-hmm. I was just back in the day when I, you know, I was in that position and it was just completely unheard of. So I just think that's really remarkable as well. And I just wonder if you have any advice to pass on to those lawyers who are starting up their own firms. Like what are some of the benefits? What are some of the challenges? That's my first bit of advice. I mean, we did do a short season on this, which was um, which flowed out of the fact that a lot of people asked that question, and hmm. there is a lot to say on that topic. So earlier this year, we did a building your own firm three episodes, and it's broken down into like know yourself, basically the old 
sort of philo- phil- the base, the basis in philosophy, know yourself. If you don't know yourself, it will be very hard to build a firm that's successful. So if you loathe admin, then you should maybe consider that running your own firm for the first while is going to feel really bad. Like you're going to have to do some stuff that at your existing firm or your existing environment, maybe you've never touched. Stuff like that is relevant when you go into doing your own firm. So I think this, this idea of really understand why you're starting your own firm. Then you know, know your options for what's out there as far as a firm. Like what can you do these days? I think it's much more common now to set up a firm doing just one very narrow, tiny thing. And you can do that with marketing and SEO and all this stuff that that people who are in more recent generations know right out of the gate. Marketing, social media, this stuff comes quite naturally to people leaving law school right now. So that's a good thing. And if you if you can do that, maybe there's something that you could do with a subscription model or something new. So I would understand what's out there to do that's innovative. And then the third thing, I guess, is just to be prepared that you don't get a lot of uh, validation in the early days. And you've Mm -hmm. got to really kind of be just really wanting it. And if you're in the position where you're doing it because you have to, I think that's that's also a reason why a lot of young lawyers are starting out on their own right now. And then they've just got to manage the mental load that comes with that and just understand that's a thing that we have to do as lawyers. And uh, it's not a bad thing. doesn't mean you can't do it. It just means it has to be managed like everything else. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And what about you know responding to naysayers? I know that um, I read somewhere that uh, when you were starting Interalia as a, a digital online firm, though there was you know some some heads were turning, thinking, "Well, how is that even possible?" Uh, <laughs> yeah, um, I laugh. I almost laugh about it now because others who've started virtual firms since then actually market it that way. Like we're a virtual firm as a good thing which I think is just a testament to how things have evolved because certainly the feedback that I got was, listen, no one's going to take you seriously without an office. And Mm -hmm. I thought, well, I just don't, I just don't buy it. I just think that all that overhead is not going to be helpful to me as I'm trying to build something great. And I think that when you, when you build a, a business that has heavy overhead from the beginning, you have to build all these business practices to support that, that I wasn't willing to engage in for a number of reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think for me, that was a non-negotiable. So it didn't really trouble me too much when people said that, but it did make me nervous about marketing it and stuff. So I was very incognito in the first little bit with Interalia until I started to get feedback from clients really and lawyers joining that this was really working. Uh, it's just kind of my personality. I'm, I want to do stuff and then share it, which even the model of Intralia started that way. I did it for me, realized it worked, shared it with others. But I, I don't like to talk about it too much until I know it works. And I think that, you know, I don't know that that's the way to go. I don't know that I would recommend that to other people, but that's been my, my approach. But that's you. And I mean, you have to be true to yourself. Right. And I mean, that's a really important part of your model too, is authenticity. So you grew from just you to nine lawyers now, did you say? I think it's eight lawyers, one paralegal. So yes. Yeah. So it's a big group. Yeah. And found, when was Interalia founded? I started Interalia probably at the end of 2013 and really started to grow it. Um, You know, I think this is the other thing about plans and advice for people starting their own firm. I don't think you need a a really baked plan. I think you can follow where the, where if things are working, go in that direction. 
you know, have a basic plan, but be willing to be flexible because I actually didn't plan in the beginning to grow. It was really just a firm for me. And I thought I would enjoy being a sole proprietor. And I did for a little bit. And then I thought I would enjoy it more with a team. And I started having children and mat leaves and clients agreeing to allow me to substitute myself in the mat leave rather than just losing the business, which was huge and a huge help from my innovative startup clients. I had a lot of a lot of help building this model okay. out and a lot of support from, you know, it was a little scary to go in with my newly won clients in the beginning and say, hi, like I know I've just convinced you to work with this new firm. Um, that's just me. And now I'm going on mat leave. And, you know, here's my proposal for how to deal with that. And they were, you know, some, one of my clients was like men run by men in their early 20s, largely. And they were like, okay, cool. When are you back? Yeah, it's wow. fine. <laughs> and I would go to the meetings with my like very tiny baby, like strapped to my, um, you know, in the baby Bjorn or whatever. And they would act like nothing was strange about that. And, you know, so I had a lot of help. It wasn't it was a lot about being like asking for what I needed, you know, not that that wasn't scary at times, but, uh, you know, I really felt that when I was doing good work for people, they really didn't care. And so the more that I started to be supported by my clients, the more I thought this can work for other people, other people who want to achieve the same things I did, we can do this together. And I've already done the scary conversation bit and now I know it works and off we go and. Yeah. So it's now nine of us that it's been working for. Wow. Fantastic. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for sharing all of that with us. I mean, what an incredible story. I just, uh, yeah, yeah. I really, really appreciate uh, you sharing it with us. I'm just wondering if there's anything that we didn't touch on you think that it would be helpful to pass on to listeners. Just thanks to you for doing your podcast, because honestly, I think the biggest thing that works is for people to hear what we're saying and just carry on and take the message in new directions and take it to new people that we're not reaching. I think that's great. That's why I'm always happy to talk to people about it. And um, I think it's great when people hear what I'm saying and then come up with their own thing like you're doing. And I've really enjoyed this interview. This is great. Yeah, fun, fun. Yeah. yeah. So, how can how can listeners learn more about Interalia Law, your blog, and the Lawyer Life Podcast? Yeah, everything is based. I mean, you can find the Lawyer Life Podcast wherever you listen to your podcasts. Um, as a start, it is linked from our interalialaw.com page. It's interalia-law.com. And then uh, our blog is on there as well. So you've got the past episodes, all of the blog stuff that we've been talking about on this episode is in the first blog series. So you've got to go right down to the bottom and find the original blog. But most of my stuff is there. And then um, Interalia, yeah, you'll see us all over the place. You can follow me on LinkedIn. Uh, Not so much Twitter. I'm not so great with the Twitter. (laughs) People who call it the Twitter shouldn't even be allowed to use it. So anyway, I'm yes. with you. I'm oh, definitely I'm not, with you on that. As you can hear from this podcast, I'm not a 140 character type of person. So <laughs> it's not my uh, my jam, but we are on Instagram at Interalia Law. And um, yeah, that's, that's about it. Super, super. Well, thank you so much, Darlene. It was such a treat speaking with you. Yes, and I awesome. wish you great success with the firm and your blog and your podcast. And I encourage listeners to uh, to check out everything um, that has your name on it, because I'm a big fan. Oh, thanks so much. That's awesome. Thanks so much for having me. I've really enjoyed this. Thanks for joining me today on the XL Legal Podcast. 
I hope you enjoyed the conversation. I'm always looking for topic and guest ideas. So if you have any suggestions for future episodes, I'd love to hear from you at xllegal.com. That's E-X-E-L-L-E-G-A-L dot com.